With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Uh, we're second edition of our sort of quick look ahead, a week in preview, uh, Monday show. And, you know, we're coming off the NFL draft, which got a lot of attention for not a lot of production, Notre Dame-wise. Just quick news roundup before we jump into analysis. Ben Koyak, seventh round, only Notre Dame uh, selection off to Jacksonville. Cam McDaniel, Cowboys, Cody Riggs, Tennessee Titans, Kyle Burns of Detroit Lions, DeVars Daniels, Minnesota Vikings in terms of the undrafted free agent pickups. Um, but, and, sorry, I mean, it's, it's uphill for any of those guys to make those rosters, so it could be a, a complete wash for Notre Dame. But just uh, it was interesting to sort of see some of the analysis coming of Notre Dame's draft. What does it mean? How does this spin forward? And, and it was a complete validation of last season. Uh, it was a validation of that recruiting class, and it has absolutely nothing to do with next year, where these were my three takeaways, and I, I wasn't sure how you could really come to any other conclusion. I thought it's a, I think it's a positive for next yeah. year. It, sure. It's, it's strange that, I, I, it's probably just a little tidbit that they can say, hey, Stetson has more draft picks than Notre Dame, or all the schools they're throwing out there, but that it's totally irrelevant. It, Notre Dame brings back it's a very small senior class, but the guys that remain are I mean, all but Mark Harrell are very much involved. There's pro prospects in there, especially with Kavari Russell coming back to it, Ronnie Stanley. Uh, the junior class is one of their best classes in recent memory. There's there's fifth-year guys coming back that are going to be in that fringe draft area. They're good college players. I, it, it happens to work out well for Notre Dame that none of that happened. As we were discussing previously, Tim, do you want to have Ronnie Stanley go in the first round and lose Sheldon Day in the fourth round and say, hey, we have two more draft picks? <laughs> no, you want them back next year. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a reflection of... Well, first of all, Ben Koyak went in the seventh round because he he tested terribly in the in the bench. He ended up being the fifteenth tight end. I didn't expect him to fall to the fifteenth yeah, tight surprising. end. I guess actually sixteenth if you include Funches in it. But the reason Notre Dame had one draft pick is because Stefan Tuitt's gone, Aaron Lynch is gone, Troy Nicholas is gone, Ishak Williams, the five star, didn't develop. Everett Golson is still here. Tony Springwin suffered a career-ending injury. I mean, you can uh, Jared Grace, who probably would have stayed around for another year anyway, had a catastrophic injury. So that's all. I mean, if you look at the surface of it, well, yeah, you can say, "Wow, what 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 Notre Dame do in in, in recruiting that class?" But um, as you know, it was better than that. And and I, you know, I wrote a story today uh, on our website, and and um, you know, the guys that are coming out, the seniors, fifth-year seniors, which I think will have a domino effect on some of the guys in the junior class, especially if Notre Dame has a double-digit win season. Notre Dame's going to have at least, I would say, at least 20 guys drafted in the next two years combined. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, you know, from a topical news stand, USC now has more NFL draft picks all time than Notre Dame, so whoop-de-doo. Um, you know, that's that's about it. Uh you know, you mentioned the Ronnie Stanley. It was interesting sort of watching the first round unfold on Thursday night and be like, okay, where would Stanley go? Is this is starting to, you know, develop? And by the end of that, I, I think it he would have been a first-round pick. Uh, you know, instead he's eating a Chick-fil-A and finding a receipt in his sandwich. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he posted a photo of 
His, I think it was a number two combo meal, and he took the bun off, and a piece of paper was wow. sitting right there. Um, so yeah, instead that has to be a little depressing when you could be a, could be a millionaire tonight instead of eating Chick Fil A with paper. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's if he come he comes back probably would have been a late first round pick, which means he would have signed a four year contract in the neighborhood of seven and a half million dollars. Uh, coming back next year, if he gets up to bottom of the top 10, then you're looking at a four-year contract in the neighborhood of $12 million. Um, so you can make the argument that it will make financial sense if he jumps that high. But if he's a mid-first-round pick, you know there there isn't a whole lot of difference dollars and cents-wise from going 30th to going 21st. There, there could be, yeah, financially, he would have to make the big jump, but... <clears throat> There, the other side of it is, I really think, I mean, he's he's going to have another year of seasoning with a pro offensive line coach. It's it's rare that a guy makes a big jump by coming back, but then just think in the recent history of Notre Dame, Zach Martin certainly made a huge jump oh, and hit the ground massive, running. Yeah. And Tyler Eifert as well, coming back from junior to senior year. Just th- Those are notable, notable developments by coming back, having great years, and also... Very good first year for Zach Martin. Throw Floyd in there yeah, too. That's, I mean, that's right. maybe not a great first year in the pros, but played himself a yeah. fringe top ten pick. I, I don't think Stanley would have gone ahead of Brandon Scherf in terms of offensive linemen. I, I think he was he was clearly the yeah. the class of the field. But we talked about this before we went on the air here. I mean, as far as true offensive tackles, Ronnie Stanley certainly uh, fits into that category. He didn't have a great 2014. I thought he had a more consistent. 2013 and part of the explanation would be he transitioned to the left side last year so I agree with you Tim I, I think in terms of having another year with Harry Heastan and, and and more importantly or just as important a second year at the left tackle spot will really really benefit him yeah it's kind of a spot where if he can string together 13 Music City Bowl performances which is not out of the question right. I mean maybe you'll get 10 or 11 but that's that's a first round. Just some consistent play. I, I I don't know how you felt about. It. I didn't think he was consistent last year. No, I, I, at no point were you watching the year. I remember in November seeing a draft, or maybe it was early December, seeing a mock draft, and someone mentioned, "Do you think Stanley's going to go?" And I thought, "Go where? What are you yeah. talking about?" But I, now, of course, his athleticism and projecting to the future. When you think right. of it that way, it could be great. But yeah, I, from body of work, I didn't think that, and I think he has a great chance to have a much better body of work. And we talk about lifting and bench press and getting dissected and everything. Also have to remember if he's not a hundred percent physically, if he's not as strong as he could be entering a senior year, remember he kind of lost his freshman year to that elbow yeah, injury. Elbow so, and yeah. now he'll, you know, he'll, he can get past that now three years later. And I, I think it's whether it, it, it benefits him that much financially or not, I think it could benefit him as a football player that he came back. Yeah, I think there's a difference between making it to the league and making it in the league. Uh, and I think Stanley could have easily made it to the league this year. I mean, that wouldn't have been a question. But whether he would have been around for that second contract, I mean, I think Troy Nicholas would be a great counterexample there. No problem with him making it to the league last year. Making it in the league is going to be a real challenge for him as he lost basically his entire rookie year to injury. So that's a real challenge. But, I mean, you look at next year, Jalen Smith seems to be a popular first-round projection mock draft. Uh, you know, Will Fuller, he's a guy that you could see going to the combine and running a 4-3-1. Um, you know, something, some ridiculous time, even though his strength issues. Kavari Russell... Maybe a second day pick, uh, you know Nick Nick Martin, you know fifth year senior quality offensive lineman. You know, you would compare him sort of like the the Sean Mayhans of the world. You know, find a fifth round pick down the road, but uh, 
it's going to be an extremely active year for Notre Dame next. I, I think if Steve Elmer continues to progress at the at the pace that he has over the last twelve months, and I know he'll have another year of eligibility, and and everybody will say, ah, he needs another year of development, and and, and he certainly would benefit from that. But man, I think at the pace that he's progressing, um, you know, he's a guy to keep an eye on next year too. I'm not sure that he's inclined to leave after yeah. three years, but we didn't think Tim and I remember we mentioned last week we didn't think that. That Ronnie Stanley was inclined um, early in the season, and he became more inclined <laughs> at the end of the season. Yeah, no question. It's uh, it should be an interesting draft for Notre Dame next year. It was going to be a lot more active <laughs> the weekend than yeah, I mean, cl- clicking like, refresh into the seventh round. I was like, okay, is there someone from someone from Notre Dame going to get picked? Even a guy like McGlinchey with his measurables yeah. and the progress again that he's made just from LSU through the spring, where I thought his balance where he was a much better football player this spring. I disagree with you guys a little bit on Stanley. I felt like at this time last year he was a guy on my radar. I was like, yeah, I could see him making that kind of a decision, which is is a segue into Max Redfield. We're saying, let me just yeah. add, we're saying based upon the conversation we had with Stanley, his, his reaction was man there's no way i'm leaving after this year oh yeah that's and i mean that that's changed. fine i'm just we were convinced that 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 he was serious <laughs> sure no I, and he probably was he was just a guy you i thought is such major upside for him you could see him having a kind of year of like oh kid i could have this like with redfield you wouldn't look at him now and be like yeah this guy's gonna leave after his junior year based on what he's put on tape but you could see him having the kind of junior year where at the end of it you'd be like oh yeah this is gonna be a maybe a little bit of a decision and certainly, it's interesting you, you, when you talk to some of these recruits or read interviews with them. The coaches are referencing Redfield potentially leaving. Brian Kelly said it twice in one press conference: "As yeah. if Shane were losing our safeties, and he had to go back and say, well, we lose Shane, we bring yeah. Redfield back, but we yeah. lose them both. Well, we get Redfield back.' So I it's mean, a catch twenty-two. You want him to play great, you want him to play good for starters, and as soon as he plays good football, he's yeah. definitely going to leave after his third year. I guess. I yeah, mean, they're, they're, it's just another so, guy to watch. I mean, they are at a real critical phase here in recruiting with safety. Yeah. And that's why I, today, or, or for tomorrow, I guess it will be the A to Z on Devin Butler. Nordic needs Sean Crawford to emerge right away so him and Watkins can be the backup corners and they can move Butler to safety and have another guy back there. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you look at... Who's going to start in that secondary in 2016 if you lose Shoemake Redfield, Russell, and let's just say Cole Luke has a great year. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not a speed player necessarily, but he will have played a lot of football. Yeah. He's going to have a lot of tape and a, some some good tape yeah. in there too. So it's not out of the question that I, I mean I don't even know who you're starting at that point. Is it, is it Drew Tranquil, Devin Butler at safety, and then Nick Watkins and Sean Crawford at corner? I don't know what that secondary okay. will look at. So. Yeah. Be interesting, you know, a couple of things that caught our eyes is sort of a two for one with Jack Swarbrick here. Um, the thirteenth game concept has been thrown a lot, of, a lot in college football media in the last week, as has satellite camps. Let's start with the thirteenth game. The Big Twelve was sort of driving the conversation a little bit with the Baylor TCU, the one true champion, which proved not to be the case at all. They get left out of the playoff. Ohio State gets and ultimately wins a national title. I don't understand maybe that. The thought that Jack Swarbrick's response is going to be, yeah, we need to play a 13th game. I don't even understand how the concept would work unless you're going to play Hawaii and sort of like one of these exempt games every year. Um, but, I mean, do, do, do we look at the 13th game as something that's essential for Notre Dame? No, and that does nothing. Hawaii's a, yeah. a nice little 
tit, you know, a little yeah. trinket to go up to a bowl yeah. game. That doesn't help your profile at all. It, I, on the on the boards, people are talking about Notre Dame and the Big Twelve getting involved in that, and, and neither one would like that because all that means is one of them is going to lose their last game. And I, I just think it's a one year sample size, and it's not like how much was TCU or Baylor left out? They, you know, it's Ohio State was number four and rolled through everybody. That's do you really argue against undefeated, undefeated, undefeated in Ohio State? Just can, I, you know, you can make a point for Baylor, you make a big point for TCU, but I can make counterpoints for Ohio State, and not only in retrospect. I mean, they were. I realize their profile got lifted by destroying Wisconsin in that game, and that's what a lot of people are pointing to. But I think it's a one-year sample size, and it's just not. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the Big 12's problem was the lack of defense. Yeah. That's what that's that, and coupled with the fact that Ohio State. As you said before, I mean, they destroyed Wisconsin. They they took a, a a good, solid Wisconsin team and just absolutely destroyed them. So I agree with you. I mean, one year sample size, but hey, in this day and age, we have to overreact to every little detail that maybe, happens. Maybe so. the Big Twelve championship game could be the winner of the Big Twelve against Notre Dame. I mean, that that's the I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a great yeah. first first weekend of December. Play that game yeah. at AT and T Stadium. Come on, Swarbrick, let's get this done. 12-0 Notre Dame, you want to sign up for that? Yes, you want to. Let's just go take on a Big 12 team and see what happens. I think Notre Dame would rather be playing the bottom half of the Big 12 as opposed to the champion Yeah, at that that stage of the year, certainly. The other topic that's been making the rounds is satellite camps. Brian Kelly addressed this, uh, I think, towards the end of spring practice, basically said, hey, we're not doing that. Uh, And there was some, I found it interesting that there was confusion whether they actually had done it or whether it was about to happen. And someone from compliance at Notre Dame said, no, Notre Dame actually did this last summer. Um, it got no buzz at all. And I think based on Notre Dame's class, I mean, there wasn't really attraction that came. I've, I've yet to hear a recruit reference attending this camp. Um, so I think it, it creates an interesting prospect. Because you see Michigan now is really pushing it with Jim Harbaugh. Nebraska is doing it. Um, Mike Riley did it at Oregon State, actually got guys out of those camps, but I, I feel like that's a, a much different level of prospect than what Notre Where Dame's did this tracking. concept come from? Because I think it's rife with potential disaster for I think James, violations. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, James Franklin at Penn State is sort of viewed as the, the architect of it because he publicized it, but it had been going on for a while. I mean, it's, and I mentioned Mike Riley when he was at Oregon State, he was doing it. Uh, but he's looking for sort of lower-level California yeah. prospects. And they have to, you know... They need to beat Fresno State right, for right, those right. guys. Um, so it's, I mean, it. I think it's an overrated topic in terms of, like, what impact, especially Notre Dame, would get out of it. I think these camps are great if you have a brand that's not that national and a home base that's not that good. So Nebraska are... They're perfect. Penn State, perfect. Uh, Michigan, to a lesser extent, perfect. I think Notre Dame doesn't have a great home base in the Midwest, but they have certainly much more of a national appeal than any of those other programs. I look at my excuse me, Tim. I, I look at more like a, uh, something that teams from a Mid American conference can benefit from as they try to That's compete point, against yeah. the, the the major conferences. And I, I think you made a good point, Pete. It's the overrated nature of it. I think a lot of the attention is because Jim Harbaugh is doing it. With this matter, yeah. if Brady Hoke was doing this for one more year in Michigan, I, I think it's a lot of attention comes because it's Jim Harbaugh and riles some people up. And yeah, I think it's a great idea for people that, like you said, Oregon State trying to get some people out of. California, they otherwise might not have a chance at, but I don't think Urban Meyer needs to do this. No, and he's not. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, it is, I mean, it's interesting you see, 
I understand the SEC coach's complaint because there's a rule that I believe it's a 50-mile radius. You can't do a camp. And this is a league rule from an SEC perspective. You can't do a 50-mile camp or a, fi- a camp 50 miles from your campus, which means like Indiana can come down and do a camp in like you know Podunk, Alabama, that Alabama cannot. Um, and I understand that you know there can, you can get to a more of a uniform situation there, but. I think Brian Kelly's making the right decision because just in terms of the resources that it takes to do this stuff, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, they're trying to get Irish invasion a little bit more ramped up this year. We'll see how that goes. Um, so I don't think you want to give kids an excuse not to attend that because, oh, well, I can just go you know, work with Brian Kelly or Mike Denbrock or Brian McGordon. What is the limit? Home. With the the work expectation of a coaching staff, I mean, it's just it, it is it is unbe- pretty ridiculous. It, it, it's unbelievable what is asked of and what is expected of a college football coaching staff. Yeah, they have a week off in late July. Maybe they can do a satellite. Game. Yeah, <laughs> what else are they going to do? This? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those. If if the only reason Notre Dame wasn't doing it was Brian Kelly's, like, you know what, my systems work hard enough, that would be fine. You know, I think that would be a completely legitimate reason not to do these things, but. Uh, in the recruiting world where everyone's trying to get an edge, I, at least I, I can understand why it's a topic, even though I think it's a little bit of an overrated one at that. All right, well, that's it for Irish Illustrated Insider. Our off-season edition will be back on May 11th, next Monday, to talk a little bit more about what's happening in the world of Notre Dame football. Maybe we'll get into some Irish hoops at that point, too. And I don't know, can we talk Notre Dame lacrosse on a podcast? You can. I, at least I, I mean, I'm right. incapable okay. of it. Okay. Well, until my monologue on Nareem Lacrosse next week, you've been listening to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. He's Tim Priester. He's Tim O'Malley. And I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening. So says the devil, children of-